Your, Your grandparents, grandparents did what? Hello, and Hi. welcome to Your, Your grandparents, grandparents Did What? It is a parenting history podcast that explores all of the ways our ancestors really had no fucking clue. I mean, truly, it seems more and more we're uncovering how little clue we still have. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of shocking. I'm sure our grandchildren will be listening to this. <laughs> Through their through their brain chip, their brain pod. I don't know. I'm being like, what <laughs> fucking idiots those two were. <laughs> oh well, shout out to you guys. Thanks for listening in year twenty. <laughs> this is not a quick math podcast. <laughs> well, since uh, we're here, this is oh. Rachel Storniolo. Oh yes, this is Maggie Walker. Yeah, and we are your hostesses. Hosts. Like you're coming to, to a Fridays? We don't have to. It doesn't have to be a gendered thing. It doesn't. You're right. It can be just We're hosts. just the hosts. We are. Of this podcast. Yes. And do you know what? This is our two-month anniversary of when we first thought of this idea. To oh, start really? a podcast. Yes. Oh. It was on Ben's birthday in December. Oh, it was wow. on his day of birth on December 5th. Oh, we well. were like, should we start a podcast? And <laughs> now here we are two months later. <laughs> our fourth episode. I know. In a basement. We thank you guys for listening yes. and hanging in there. Truly. This week we're going to be exploring solid foods. Introduction of yes, foods. Yes, introduction of foods and when babies first ate foods and Turns out there's like. a lot of weird history. I, I I mean, it just seems like there's just a lot of world weird history for us to uncover <laughs> on all different kinds of corners of the internet. I really didn't think we would like have enough to talk about. Really? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm just so naive and like just thought <laughs> things have been okay, but... I not. legitimately, when I was pulling research, I pull it all into one document and then I sort it. Yeah. Um, as need be, I like pull paragraphs and mm-hmm. read from it and write from it and reorganize it into like a process that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I had like 12 pages mm. single spaced of stuff. Holy crap. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Well, I'm super excited to hear that part of it. That's why I texted you in a panic earlier, being like, it's too much. <laughs> I have too many things. <laughs> Well, it's hard to edit it down, but we will get you the good the good info here. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, we both went through all of this stuff, like the introduction of foods. I mean, it's yeah. far away from me, but you're no, I'm currently in it. In the middle Colin. of it. Yeah, and it's funny, between the two kids, Cameron was, I mean, Colin is better now at eight months than Cameron did like two years. Yeah, he definitely seems very enthusiastic. <laughs> yes, he, <laughs> basically when I was feeding him earlier, I was trying to help him get food back onto the plate for him to eat between uh-huh. himself and the plate. And he growled at me <laughs> like a dog. I mean, he's a hungry little guy. He he's not going to keep that figure by not nope. eating like he's that. He's got to like, get those like muscles to hold that, that head up. Yes. He's neat. He's got the weight packed on. So yes. I can see he's got a big appetite. Yes. Yeah. So it's and, been interesting to do it. And Cameron didn't eat many, like he wasn't, didn't take to it as well. No. Right. He did it mostly took a really like long time. purees fruit. and fruits always. Yeah. He never like ate, ate. I feel like I'm giving him food, like baby led weaning stuff. And he yeah. would just be like, okay. No, thanks. Colin is. He nursed more too though. Oh, 100%. So he was, I mean, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Like Colin yes. is much Colin's more ready like, to like get a job and move out of the house. <laughs> He's like, man, why are you still forcing me to do this? Yeah, he's much more like an independent child. Yes. 
Um, so yeah. it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting that you did the same thing for both kids. And it's just, I mean, I think it's funny. Like you think like when you have like a successful kid at something, like mm-hmm. I felt like this with Ben because he was like just such a sweet kid. Uh-huh. And I was so smug when people are like, oh my God, your kid doesn't bite or he doesn't do this. And I'm like, oh no, I mean, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just, just a great I'm parent. I'm just so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and my second kid that put my theory to shit. And I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with me. It's just like like nature versus nurture. It's totally yeah. nature. I think yes. it's a lot of nature. It just depends on yes. who they are as a genetic person, yes. whether or not they're going to have a certain disposition, whether they're going to like certain foods or take to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, way to put me in my place, second kid. <laughs> I feel bad for any person. I was like, oh baby isn't like talking really early or so everyone from uh 2013 to two- <laughs> early 2016 I, everybody sorry. a huge apology <laughs> I for- please forgive me i just was a smug new mom who had only one per- kid who was making me think i was a doing it all boat. right yeah, yeah he was a really good starter baby he was easy yeah. um but yeah i got i got brought down a couple of rungs with the second one. Well, um, Emerson was always a good eater though. She was. Yeah. She took to baby led. She was similar to Colin. Like she ate all the food. Mm-hmm. She still is a pretty good eater. Ben was basically like uh, Cameron. Like he didn't really eat much until he was closer to a year. I mean, he enjoyed food, but he had a really sensitive gag. He really didn't like a lot of textures. Like it took him longer to pick up with it. And, um, he, has, he didn't get teeth for a really long time, and I was afraid to feed him. <laughs> he didn't get teeth. You have to post a picture of Ben with a full helmet of hair. He had not, yeah, 13 and a half months when he first cut a tooth, and I was like a new mom, and I was like kind of nervous to give him stuff that was too yes. chewy. Oh, I definitely in this time am more like, okay, I'm just going to give you these things. I understand like the guidelines of I'm not yeah. going to give you a whole grape, right. but I'm going to give you a big slice of strawberry. Right. Like to me at that time, I didn't get that he could like – chew it and masticate it without yes. like some little teeth. But now I'm like thinking back. I'm, like, those, two, those, those four two little, little teeth. And, those little chicklets no. are not doing it. But no. anyway, it gave me an excuse to just give them like <laughs> purees. And But anyway, yeah. I mean, it's just, they were two different the same way. And it yeah. has just nothing to do. I mean, do your best. <laughs> I mean. Okay. So we're going to start a little different this week. We're going right. to start with our medical portion. So Maggie's going to kick it off this week for I us. Am. So are you excited? Let's do it. Let's do it. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. So I gathered most of my information from an article called Historical Overview of Transitional Feeding Recommendations and Vegetable Feeding Practices for Infants and Young Children. I mean, a nice condensed title there. (laughs) (laughs) Really sticks to the top of your brain. When I practiced reading that, I'm like, I just can't even practice this anymore. It is so long and stupid. It's written by Ronald Kleinman and Francis Coletta. And it was um, from 2016, but it spans, it basically starts in the 1900s. They have like a very minor, you know, discussion about like the late 1890s on what was happening Mm -hmm. with like feeding babies at that time. And in the late 1890s, it was advised to introduce green vegetables and potatoes to the diet at 36 months. Whoa. Yeah. So before... Wait. So like a three-year-old. Yeah. Like, I guess they were just drinking milk up until I mean, then? well... Uh, You'll talk I about get, it? Yeah. I mean, I was going to start researching that because no, I was I'll like, get that's into not it. right. But I mean, I guess it yes. is. Um, so then the article jumps to like the 1900s and it kind of goes through like each decade. Um, and so from 1900 to 1920, 
solid foods were seldomly offered before one year of age because it, there was a belief in the medical practice that it would harm the child. Mm -hmm. So this is before there was an American Academy of Pediatrics. So recommendations from that time were not like a collective recommendation. It, it was, was just, just like, like Dr. Jones. Right. It was thing. like this one doctor is like prominent or famous mm. or whatever. And he would, you know, always he never he or she no. <laughs> <laughs> would make a recommendation and that would just be it. and People would follow it. So it wasn't until the AAP was finally founded in the 1930s. Um, but really up until then, it was just kind of loosey goosey recommendations. Uh -huh. Um, publications after 1920 began to recommend the introduction of meat and liver and additional solids during the first two weeks of life, followed by cereal. So there's a huge Wait, jump you're giving there. liver to a two-week-old? Yeah. Yes. I mean, food in general, but yeah. liver? Yeah. I mean, I guess because it had iron in it. Like, it was more like, what should we feed them that has these specific nutrients in it? I mean, I guess it has more nutrients than some of the other things they were feeding them. But even just like two weeks of life, I mean, there's a lot to say about this time period about there was like a really high infant mortality and I'll get into it a little bit later, but I, I think These they were like just spaghetti necks. How could they even swallow anything? I mean, yeah, I guess they were just like spoon. They were probably like mashing it and mixing it with water uh -huh. or milk or something yeah. and just kind of like spooning it into their mouths and they were just gulping it down <laughs> like little guppies or something. I don't know. Probably was not, it was not right. Um, so by the recommendation at this time, so from we're in the 1900s to 1920s, um, was by the age of six to nine months, vegetables should be offered as a transition to the older infant to a mixed diet by the age of one. So I feel like this is like a glint, like a very small glimpse of like, oh, this is kind of what we do now, like between six to nine months, like start introducing mm -hmm. foods. Um, but then... It goes downhill for a while. Oh, no. <laughs> it always goes downhill yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. If I've learned anything in the last four episodes, it definitely <laughs> it goes, goes downhill. downhill. That should have been the opening. <laughs> <laughs> a parenting history podcast where it goes downhill for a while. Um, so by 1942, so this is the recommendations from the medical establishment. 1942, at birth, you should start introducing cod liver oil and orange juice because this ew. would decrease the incidence. Of wait. Fucking ew. I know. Ew. So your Wait. little brand new baby, you're like dropping cod liver oil into its mouth. Mixed I mean, I'm with assuming like cod liver oil tastes like real fishy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, they're probably not getting some nice cod liver oil that's cut with like coconut oil or something that's like easy and palatable. Ew, I think I just threw up a little bit. But do you want to know why? Yes. Because it decreased the incidence of scurvy and rickets. And do you want to know why um, there was an increase in scurvy and rickets in 1942 specifically? I'm about to tell you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed learning about this. Okay. It's super interesting. So scurvy, I'm going to tell you what scurvy is. Scurvy is a disease of a diet. It's a dietary deficiency of vitamin C and rickets is caused by a lack of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So one of the earliest. Rickets, I'm sorry. Rickets affects your bones. Rickets affects your bones. Scurvy affects like your soft tissues. Um, yeah. It can like really, it makes like your eyes bold. Your teeth fall out, right? Your TA of port, like your gums swell, mm -hmm. your skin, mm -hmm. your hair. Um, and you can eventually, I mean, you can die from yeah. it. I mean, um, sailors did a lot when they right. were like, here's three biscuits. You're going to sail around the world. Yeah. Sorry about your... Uh yeah, and then they would start feeding yeah. them like limes and lemons and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the earliest recorded, but it was not common in infants. So it was more of a disease of like sailors. Yeah, because it's or, a long-term deficiency, right? Well, it's just anybody who doesn't get enough vitamin C or vitamin D, which if okay. you're drinking breast milk or animal, like raw animal milk, you're getting those nutrients in oh, that makes the sense. milk. Okay. So 
it was first recorded in 1650, like a doctor philosopher. We kind of said how that was kind of mm-hmm. like a mixed career choice yeah. back then. <laughs> it was recorded infantile scurvy, but it was often not diagnosed until after death because that's when they would be able to examine the body and they could uh-huh. see the bones were really brittle. Yeah. And like the, the mouth was really like mm. decayed, like, you know, decrepit. Um, and so since from 1650 and then onward, there was like a 200 year period where there's like no references to infantile scurvy because babies were, I'm sure you'll get into like kind of the feeding things. Like they were eating mostly raw animal milk Mm -hmm. or breast milk, which has plenty of vitamin D and vitamin C. Um, But during this time, there was a really high incidence of infant mortality and morbidity from bacteria that was in raw milk. Yes. Because stuff is not pasteurized. Right. So there was a really high morbidity and mortality rate of infants dying from, they would call it like summer milk, I think, where it was like. Because yeah, it was spoiled. Yeah, it was like spoiled because they had no way to keep it cold. Mm, you had some good summer milk. <laughs> I know. I read that. I like hate milk and like the best. Like, <laughs> I'm offering you some summer milk. I like always talk shit on people who are like picky as adults, but like I am that adult who's like, ew, milk. <laughs> I like, can't drink it. I put creamer in my coffee. That's as far as I go. And I'll eat cheese and yogurt, but like yes. if you put a glass of milk in well, front of me. you're not a psychopath. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> It just, I can't. But when I read about like the summer milk, I was literally like gagging. So anyway, they discovered that if you heated the milk, so if you boiled it, Mm -hmm. you could kill all the Mm -hmm. bacteria. But when you do this, you lose all the vitamin C and vitamin D. It breaks down those nutrients. So here they were like, so right at this point in history, so this was what, during the 19 like 40s or so yeah they started boiling yeah. all the milk and like trying to pasteurize it so the infant mortality and morbidity rate dropped you know they were it was like really this uh-huh. amazing as- accomplishment in, yes. uh you know but they they solved one problem and created another correct. so yeah heating the milk led to this loss of vitamin c and d and so that's why they were like well let's give your baby cod liver oil and orange juice because we have to heat the milk to keep it safe, but to offset. Okay, so cod liver oil has vitamin D and. And orange juice has, has vitamin, vitamin C. C. As yes. we all know from every commercial <laughs> on planet Earth. Uh, promo code Tropicana. <laughs> I wish. Getting that good Tropicana oh money. Can you imagine? No. That will never happen to us. No. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I thought that was so interesting. Like when I was reading that, I was is like, that, wow. Is that why they add vitamin D to milk? Like. Yeah. That's why they add vitamin D. Oh. It's like a lot of things are fortified. And like, have you ever bought like enriched, like when you buy noodles, for example, like if you buy pasta, yes. it's all enriched because it's like an easy way to get vitamins for the FDA. Mm. Is that the FDA, the food? Yeah, food yes. and drug. That's drug an easy way for them to be like, oh, if you know, a lot of people yes. eat pasta, it's cheap, it's, it's affordable. Yes, a lot of kids are eating it. A lot of kids are eating it yeah. and it has wow, a okay. lot of those vitamins in it that you huh. wouldn't typically be like, oh, I'm my gonna, kid is eating plenty yeah. of cod liver oil I'm, and like raw <laughs> fresh fish. And... I could just think, here, we want some delicious cod liver oil, baby. <laughs> yeah, but you know what my kid will eat? A straight pasta noodle that is 99 cents a box, you know? So, I mean, yes, that's why. And like a lot of cereals are fortified yes. and like milk is, yeah. So, um, so yeah, this was considered a new disease, but they, it wasn't really new. It was just because of this new technology. Um, and so then once the children at this age, so what did we say? This was like in the 1940s. 40s. Yeah. At three to four months, you would start introducing foods with iron or egg yolk. Four to six months, you would do fruits and vegetables and cereals with added iron and then so on and so forth. Then, mm-hmm. you know, more of your meats and veggies until they're a year transition to regular milk. Um, Okay. And then in 1959, the AAP, their new recommendations then went on to say at six months, you can start adding potatoes. This is like the potato 
century here. I mean, <laughs> at nine months, it's very American. <laughs> yeah. So at six months, you can start with potatoes. At nine months, you can mix the potatoes with meat. And then at 12 months, you can mix the potatoes with meat and the skin of the potato. <laughs> so oh. it's like, oh, okay. there's a lot of potatoes. Is there? Do you know if there's more vitamins in the skin of the potato? I don't know. But okay. I would assume that potatoes are, are a good source of some vitamin. I forget what it is. C, maybe? D, A? I don't know. Q? I don't know. Coming at you next week <laughs> with the correction. <laughs> Um, and so then I kind of like dove into kind of like the mean age, so like the average age that they started foods in each decade. So okay. from 1890 to 1910, the average age people were starting to eat was 36 months. So that was kind of at the top. 1911, 10, not 11, like up until like the mid 19 teens, mm -hmm. it was about two years. And then as you get closer to 1920, it mm -hmm. goes up to like 15 months or it drops down to 15 months down to 12 months. And by 1940, most babies were starting to have solid foods by four months. So it just keeps getting like less and less yeah. and less as the years progress. So that brings us to, so in 1954, the AAP, so the American Academy of Pediatrics started this committee on nutrition, which was the first time that they did like they did a report that was summarizing the science on the feeding of solid foods to healthy infants, which basically said like, Hey guys, let's not just use age as like a rigid indicator for starting foods. Okay. Cause there could be other factors that determine like per child. Right. And like, also like your baby has to have like the developmental maturity, the gut and neuromuscular system, like maturity. They have to mm -hmm. have the proper growth rate. They have to have like the right muscle tone to be able to start eating foods as opposed to like, oh, every baby at four months should be ready to eat yeah. a potato. Like, no, it could be different. Like, or your yeah. baby might not really be physiologically interested or ready until a little bit later. Um, and they went on to say that there was absolutely no benefit of introducing solid foods before three or four months of life. There's probably a lot of drawbacks to it, in fact. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get much into that research because it was like a wormhole I didn't want to dive There's into. Only, this podcast cannot be 17 hours. <laughs> I mean, it could have been. Well, basically. I would like to sit across the table from you for 17 <laughs> hours and just talk. I mean, but like just real quick, like what I read, I mean, it was a lot of it was like the earlier introduced, like those starchy, ricey mm -hmm. foods was like a higher incidence of like diabetes yeah, and childhood obesity. obesity and things like that, which you know, at this point, they probably weren't thinking that long term. They were more like, oh, we need to like help these babies yes. not have scurvy and rickets, which, yeah. okay. But once we kind of go backwards and solve the issues that I'm sure you'll get into with mm -hmm. making safe drinking milks for babies, mm -hmm. there was no point for it. If they have safe milk to drink, the AAP was finally like, just, just do that. You don't need to be feeding them super early. Um, okay. This is where we take like a lot of twists and turns. <laughs> This is okay. So you're from Texas, as yeah, you mentioned I am in the first from Texas. episode. So have you ever heard of the documentary called Hunger in America? No. Okay. So it was a documentary. It was filmed in San Antonio, Texas, uh -huh. and it was put out in the 1960s. And it was um, basically highlighting the need for food assistance among mothers, infants, and children from low income families. And it brought it to the public attention in like a really strong way. Okay. I watched a little bit of it. Oh. It was haunting. I mean, the very opening scenes are images of a baby suffering from malnutrition at the county's Robert B. Green Hospital. Ugh. And like, you're seeing images of this infant that is just like as malnutritious, as malnu malnourished, it? malnourished. Thank you. <laughs> as malnourished <laughs> as one could imagine. And it's like in America. Yeah. It was we, really, we pretend like, that that kind of stuff only happens in like other countries, right? Like a third world country yes, or but underdeveloped, that's but totally happening. I mean, it was their right, food deserts, and yeah. they're not getting the 
uh, what they need. Yeah. And it led one of the viewers, which was um, a South Dakota senator named George McGovern. He went to the oh, Senate floor. Yes. Do you know of him? George McGovern ran for uh, presidency. Oh, no way. Wait, right? Am I? Oh, God. Okay. Are you going to? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> talk, talk, because okay. I just want to make sure I did not just say that in air. Okay. So he went to the Senate floor the very next day after he saw this um, documentary and he wanted to, he passed a new Senate committee to look into and learn about the hunger and malnutrition in the United States. So like the very next day he went Good. down and was like, y'all need to watch. I even did the y'all because he's from y'all. Texas. <laughs> he was like, we need to like solve this problem. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, yes, he um, he did run in 1972. Um, my God, that's the same year that. OK, it's not the same year. This was in 1960. But I am going to talk about 1972 right now. Because, oh, there we go. OK. Yeah. Thank you for that very beautiful segue. Into it. Well, in, there, in 1972, the landmark le- legisl- legislation authorizing the establishment of the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, which we know now as WIC, was passed by Congress. Oh, OK. Yeah. And it was originally just supposed to be a pilot program. Is that what WIC stands for? Oh, my God. Did you not know that? <laughs> Women, Infant, and Children? No. Oh, honey. <laughs> You're learning something here, too, every day. I did not. I just was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they passed that, and it was supposed to be a pilot, but by 1973 and 74, it was serving more than, so within a year, it was serving more than 880,000 people. Good. So they couldn't take it away, which good. It it stuck around, and I started reading a lot about WIC, and there's... There's tons we could talk about Ugh. with that. It's it's been it's had its ups and downs. I mean, the the state of welfare in this country has had a lot of ups and downs, and it's yeah. been tried to strip away yeah. a lot over by a lot of people. But people deserve to have food that is nutritious for them and their children. I know it's yeah. like a basic human right. It really is. Um, In 1979 and 1980, the Committee on Nutrition developed recommendations to assist health professionals and policymakers in guiding the appropriate feeding of infants and young children through the second year of life. So they're basically starting to give more guidelines beyond just like Mm -hmm. the infant stages of introducing foods and like how you should be feeding your toddler, which I think a lot of people just really, I mean, you would be surprised. A lot of people have no idea um, how... I remember speaking with a family and they didn't know that their child could be drinking water and they were like 16 or 17 months old. Like they were just still drinking milk or juice. I remember talking to them and I was like, Oh yeah, your baby can be drinking. Is your baby drinking anything? Yeah. And they were like, yeah. Just milk and juice. And I'm like, what about water? They were like, Oh, I can give them water now. Yeah, because they seems, always tell yeah. you can't give babies water. Yeah. So they were really, one. Yes. And then now the baby was, you know, 16 or 17 months old, but nobody had ever educated this family. I mean, they, for all they knew, it's they were doing a, the right thing. No, it's such a simple, it seems, I'm sorry, I should not say it is such a simple. It comes from very patient people that should say it's such a simple well, thing. Well, it's. It comes, it seems like it's a very simple thing to say. Hey, but. Okay, you one year appointment, like your baby can be just drinking right. water. It's hot out, whatever. Like, exactly. Give them a fucking glass. But if you, only and, the last time someone talked to you about it yeah, was when, at their six month appointment where they said, hey, you can start giving them potatoes and mm-hmm. you know some meat but don't give them any water they should only be drinking milk or formula and then you know maybe at your 12 month appointment you're too busy talking about yeah walking and yeah. are they waving and saying hi you forget to mention like hey now they can start having just like basically a normal diet so i think that it is important to continue talking about it and this was kind of the first time where they were like hey let's make some guidelines to hand out to families that go all the way through the second year of life Yeah. And so basically from the 1980s, the recommendations, which I'll read to you right now, are essentially what we do today. I mean, from the 1980s to now, they're not very much unchanged. Um, So in the 1980s, the guidelines were at about four to six months, infants are physiologically ready to start food. Uh, And then this was something I wanted to talk about. So the new single, if you're introducing new single ingredient foods, 
they should be introduced one at a time over a period of three to five days. Did you ever do that? With Colin? With either of your kids. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I... I never remembered to do that. I did. I mean, I gave Colin eggs pretty early and I'd like mix some peanut butter and like some yogurt or something. Mm -hmm. So I was like, he just gave him a spoonful of like weird natural (laughs) peanut butter, like all oily and strange. Um, But we also don't have any food allergies. So it's not like, I mean, like I did like hit, I think I hit peanuts and eggs and dairy for yogurt right pretty early on and he eats eggs every morning yeah but not a single person in either of our families have anything yeah. so it wasn't as big of like but right. i also know people that like are like i don't know where this came from well exactly and i just was thinking like i really never did like i would give them a lot of like mixed foods like you're saying like i would make oatmeal with like mm-hmm. peanut butter and like maybe put some i think eggs was, eggs was the only thing that i really did that was like you space a Aller big one of the big allergens that I did like space out. Gotcha. Yeah, I just was like, oh, I I, I read that. I was with like, Cameron, oh. there's things that just leave your mind after a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's all a blur. Um, it says at about seven to eight months, infants should be receiving complementary foods from all the food groups in addition to breast milk or formula. Cow's milk should be withheld until the first birthday. Uh, juice should be limited to no more than four to six ounces, and try to limit added sugar and salt. Mm-hmm. And the current guidelines are basically the same. So this is from the current, you know, 2021 AAP guideline. You can look at the website right now and find it all. But introduce the only change really was not to introduce foods until six months of age. Yeah. Expose the baby to a wide variety of healthy foods, a variety of te- a large variety of textures. Um, after nine months, offer two to three healthy and nutritious snacks throughout the day. Um, maintain fruit and vegetable consumption after finger foods are introduced, which I was like, felt personally attacked by this recommendation. <laughs> I mean, Cameron basically only ate fruit for like a year. <laughs> he did. I used to call him a little fruit bat because all he would eat was fruit, fruit, fruit. <laughs> he would eat like, a ton of it. I remember seeing, watching him eat watermelon once. Oh, yes. Like, I, I remember he ate like oh, half five of a pieces water- of watermelon dress one time. <laughs> he literally ate like half of a watermelon and he's like about the size of a watermelon. I was like, Cameron, where is it going? <laughs> At that time, he was the size of a watermelon. He's about three watermelons now yeah two and a half (laughs) two and a half to three watermelon um but yeah i was like oh that's kind of rude but yeah we should continue giving them fruits and vegetables after they discover graham crackers and (laughs) (laughs) chicken nuggets um babies are encouraged to use spoons and you spoons and fingers to feed themselves um they're encouraged to drink from a cup at six months of age what i like about these guidelines is it's more about like the baby as a whole yes as opposed to like just give them these specific foods it's like also, about, their development should be at this point starting to reach for a spoon or yeah. reaching for a cup. Um, so, yeah, babies still drink breast milk or formula for the first year, avoiding juice, um, and avoid sugar and sweetened beverages. So, yeah, it's basically, it's very similar to, you know, the guidelines back in the 80s with some, adi- like, additional developmental suggestions as well. Um, can I tell you a funny story about the salt? <laughs> Please do. So we, I mean, you know, same thing. Like I, you know, uh, some stuff just has some salt in it. They're, I've given Colin some leftovers or whatever, but I, I don't add any salt to any of the food I'm giving him. So when I cook eggs in the morning, mm-hmm. I throw the eggs in the pan to scramble them. Mm-hmm. And then when they're a little hard, I separate off just a little like, like a little of, of eggs. And Cameron now knows. So he's like, mommy, don't put salt on those. Don't oh put my salt God, on those. Cameron. And I'm like, bro, you see me over here with this little tiny thing of eggs over here and the rest of the eggs over in the corner it's of the like pan. Gordon Ramsay over there. He's like yelling at you like, what is that show? <laughs> Kitchen Nightmares or something. Yes. <laughs> he's just like screaming at them yes. for adding different. That's so funny. <sighs> Um, okay. I say we have here many recent studies have examined dietary patterns and nutrient consumption among infants and young children using data from, so they use data from 2002 to 2008 
And this was a sample of 3,200 children. And it showed that, actually I was surprised that nutrient intakes were adequate for the majority of U.S. infant, toddlers, and preschoolers. Okay. So they were, the majority of them were getting... I mean, adequate is... Adequate. Yeah. I mean, it's not an C. A+. Plus. It's, C's, it's like about C range. We're passing. <laughs> but it did say, it was actually sad, that a third of kids get no fruit daily. And among babies and toddlers, the most commonly consumed vegetable is the French fry. I hear that too. But you know what I was kind of laughing at? Um, I fed my kids potatoes two ways tonight for dinner. <laughs> I had tater tots and some leftover sweet potato that I had. Like, uh, oh, had sweet some, potatoes like, got all kinds of stuff. That it doesn't was like, even count. Well, did they eat the sweet potato? Questionable. They probably picked out the tater tots. But I was laughing. I was like, oh, I am like this parent who's like only feeding their kids potatoes. Um, yeah, many toddlers and preschoolers did not consume recommended amounts of fiber or potassium and vegetable and fruit intake continued to be lower than recommended. And between infants of 9 to 11 months, the study also found that sweet potatoes, broccoli, baby food, and table food, green beans, and mashed potatoes ranked among the top five vegetables consumed. I mean, those pretty much like our... Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm not eating... I mean, I'm eating more vegetables than that, but like... Not a lot. Not that many more variety, you know what I mean? No. Getting a little old rut in quarantine. <laughs> I know. food over More potatoes. <laughs> um, and the ongoing question concerning the intake of potatoes among young infants must be addressed. This I thought was funny. <laughs> are potatoes, this is a question the study asked. Oh, okay. Are potatoes displacing other vegetables or are potatoes a bridge to other vegetables or foods? This is like a gateway drug <laughs> to other exactly foods. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> I was like, is potatoes, potatoes a gateway? The marijuana of- <laughs> dying i couldn't wait to tell you this because it just made me laugh so hard like thinking about like passing a baby like a french fry and then like the baby eating it opening up a weird trench coat like hey baby i got some french fries you want to get some french fries and then they do the french fry and then they're like oh maybe i'll try a broccoli now like the broccoli is some i don't know it's just like going in many different directions with how weird this could go um but yeah, I was laughing. I was like, well, I guess it makes sense, though. Like, if you give your baby a plate with French fries mm-hmm. and then maybe, like, a little pile of, like, steamed green vegetables. Yeah. Like, will they eat a French fry and then reach for the green vegetable? Maybe not. But, I mean, it might open up. Yes. You know, they'll start eating. Maybe they'll pick up the wrong thing. Like, it could lead to, who knows. Um. Okay. So, that was basically my timeline. And now I want to take a really hard left turn. Okay. So, do you know when your kids were babies, people uh-huh. always told you not to give them honey before they're one? Yes. I know that you probably know why. Yes. Botulism. <laughs> Botulism. But a lot of people don't know why. Like, I mean, I don't know that everybody even knows that you're not supposed to have honey before one. No. And in my very informal polling this week, some people think that it's like because it's too sticky or because it's too sweet or because, okay. you know, they don't know that yes. there's actually like a medical risk associated yeah. with it. And I think for a long time, it was like almost like an old like wives tale or like mm-hmm. an old home remedy to give your baby like honey water if they were colicky or, yeah. you know. So anyway, I want to talk a little bit about infant botulism and why the recommendation is not to give your baby honey okay. before they're one. Um, so what is infant botulism? It is an illness that can happen when a baby ingests toxins from a type of bacteria. Um so this bacteria, so the, the illness can cause the, the symptoms of. So you can have muscle weakness. Some of the earliest symptoms are constipation, a weak suck, or your baby could just look like they're having like a flat affect, like their okay. face looks like non-expressive. They can have a weak cry, and then this might lead to weak arms, muscles in like the trunk and breathing problems, trouble swallowing, and ultimately can lead to like respiratory failure. It basically like slowly, I mean, paralyzes is it, you. Is it Botox botulism? Is I think botulitum something something. Yes, it is. It paralyzes your muscles. Yes, exactly. Which is, right, but is it's it? yes, but it's not going into your bloodstream. It's yes. going into like the subcutaneous tissue, yeah. so it doesn't make you sick. No, I get wait. 
is it muscles or is it like your sub Q? I don't know what that means. Subcutaneous <laughs> exactly. tissue. So like, yes, it's not your muscles. The bits between my muscles it's, and my skin. Yeah. It's okay. like, oh God, you should have prepared me for that question. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So it is caused by a toxin called Clostridium botulinum, which lives in the soil and dust, but it can also live in honey. One of the ways, so, okay, I'm sorry. The bacteria is harmless to older kids and adults. So if you're wondering, like, can this make me sick? Mm-hmm. It cannot. It can only make babies sick because their immune system is not developed enough. But other botulisms can. Because you can get, like, botulisms from canned food. Yes, you can. But that must be a different form of botulism. Yeah, it's like, it must be different. Yes. If you listen to this podcast, we'll kill you. They have a really good botulism episode, which breaks down all the different types. Yes. But this clostridium okay. botulinum, is this one just particularly, strain, you need to build up your... Correct. Okay. Well, it, it's like, and if you listen to that podcast, it'll go into it because it tell it, there's like the botulism bacteria is like in like a really thick like cell wall and it takes a long time to break down in the body. Okay. So when an infant gets it, like their gut is so immature, mm-hmm. it will just kind of like eventually open up in somewhere in their gut and get into the bloodstream. Whereas a more mature gut is like stronger. will be able to like basically flush it out and okay. it doesn't make you sick. Um, so yeah, if you... You know, basically notice that if your baby is eating honey, you can notice these symptoms. Like you can catch them really early and it'll be fine. Mm. Um, The medication works pretty quickly if you catch it early on. But I remember taking care of babies who had infant botulism. Oh, really? Yeah. When I worked in in patient and they would be on like a ventilator for days waiting for like the IVIG. And they got some honey? Or they got like from other Either environmental or, sources. Yeah, a lot of times it would be traced back to construction. So like if like a house next door was being like no built or something, oh, no. and like a lot of the dirt was being kicked up, and the baby was outside, like you can breathe it in. Yeah, like a lot of it is to like if you're digging up like an old construction site, it can live dormant. Like it's a really hardy, um, hardy bacteria, and it can live in the environment oh, for a long time. That makes me deeply upset. I know. Um, it also says here not to give them honey in any like cooked products either, which was actually like new for me. I did not know that. I thought it was just raw honey or like unpasteurized honey, but it's really all honey or any processed foods that are made with honey. Okay. Which kind of freaked me out because my kids ate like a thousand boxes of Honey Nut Cheerios before they turned one. Ooh. And I was like, ooh. But but I don't know if like these guidelines are just extra cautious. Yeah. Or if that's because I think I thought that from heating it up and cooking it would kill any bacteria, but I guess, I mean, the recommendation is still no foods processed with honey before their first birthday. Wow. Yeah. I have one more little thing to talk about and I wanted to crack, like crush any, um, old grandparents out there that are telling you to give your baby a bottle full of rice oh, do milk it. before bed. <laughs> so I wanted to find something concrete to prove this theory wrong. Okay. <laughs> and you, so sometimes you're looking for research, you can find it, but this is like a legitimate study. <laughs> Good. Um, so it was called infant sleep at bedtime or infant sleep and bedtime cereal. And so they studied 600 infants that were randomly assigned to either have bedtime cereal or just a regular bottle. Um, and they, this was between five weeks of age and four months of age. And they did it for 21 weeks. Wait, caretakers recorded the infant sleep from age four to 21 weeks for one 24 hour period of time per week. So they did it ongoing. Okay. Um, and so there was essentially no statistically significant trend or consistent tendency of one group to have a higher proportion of sleep than the other. Therefore, feeding infants rice cereal in a bottle before bedtime does not appear to make much difference in sleeping through the night. I mean, nothing makes a difference. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Hot off the press. Hot off the press. 
I mean, maybe it'll help your specific baby sleep, but in terms of like saying as a whole, like all babies will sleep better with rice cereal. I mean, maybe anecdotally it will work for you. I think people just want there to be an answer. Yes. And so if they can do something to help, then they're going to say that that worked. Right. And like maybe if it helped your baby, you'll tell everybody that that's what helped. But is that the case? I don't know. Science says no. Uh, thank you for listening. This was very long. <laughs> it was not very long. I am very breathless at I, the end of it. I could listen to you talk for hours. Thank you. That's why I love you. <laughs> Thanks. Welcome back. Ah, yeah. So I'm going <laughs> to... I did some some maggying. I actually read some articles on like a PubMed. Oh no way! Yeah, about stuff. Oh, that's um, awesome. Because I was trying to dig in deep to find some things. You can get really deep in there. Ah, uh, truly. But I also didn't want to pay for things, so I was like, <laughs> I, I was reading the like. I'm so annoyed. I'm sorry, but they literally. I mean, I get it. I should be paying for people to read people's work, mm-hmm. but twenty five fucking dollars no. for a twenty year old yes. article? No, no, thank you. No, two dollars. Happy to so pay it. I was just reading like the abstract. Or something. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I have many like just the abstract. I know. I find that so annoying. Okay. Um, okay. So I, cause I was really trying to find some like prehistoric information. Cause you know, I like to start at the, ooh, the tippy top. <laughs> at the, the brink of beginning. life. <laughs> okay. Yes. So um, obviously like there's no writings about it, but they can also study. There are groups of people who live in like sort of nomadic or small grouped um isolated ways that they can kind of study and like look at to see mm-hmm. what might have been the case um so pre-mastication is basically where we're starting which pre-mastication is chewing food yeah. giving it to your kid to kind of break it down oh ew. um so it's been documented throughout human history current past um and likely day ha- dates to the depths of prehistory so that's how they would feed the kids? They yeah. They chew it up and spit yes. like baby bird to them? Basically. Um, babies are fed pre-masticated food to pulverize the food so they can chew it. Yeah. And also it starts the digestive process. Right. So you're getting some of that going before you even get it to your kid who has like less of a digestive system than you do. Wait, can I interrupt? Yes, of course you can. <laughs> that's, I, can I interrupt should be the name of this podcast. <laughs> can I tell you what experiment Ben wants to do? Yeah. Oh, and yes. I like wanted to gag when he told me. Oh, God. He wants to fill a cup with water. And a cup with spit. Ooh. His own spit. A cup? A cup. And then he wants to put a cracker in each one to see which one will be broken down first because he thinks that the a spit. Cup. Does he know how much spit? That's what I said to him. I was like, babe, I was like, it will take you all day. He was like, I, I don't did, got nothing to do. I did 23 and me and you have to spin that thing. It's like this big. And I was like. He's like, well, what else are we doing? I'm no, like, yeah, you've got a good point. Spit and walk around. <laughs> I was like, get out of here, Ben. I'm busy. <laughs> anyway, that just reminded me of that. Go ahead. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so this process is observed in our biological cousins, such as orangutans. So like, this is clearly like pre-humanoid yeah. stuff that's happening. Interesting. Um, but humans wean earlier than our primate cousins. So um, this is actually a quote from, let's see. From the Apes Dilemma to the Weaning's Dilemma, Early Weaning and Its Evolutionary Context by G.E. Kennedy. So this wow. is my PubMed that I found. Let's do it. The quote is, um, it's argued here that our unique pattern of prolonged early brain growth, the neurological basis for human intel- intellectual ability, cannot be sustained much beyond one year by human mother's milk alone. Huh. And thus early weaning, when accompanied by supplement, uh, supplementation with more nutritious adult foods, is a vital to the um, 
ontogeny of our larger brain, despite the associated dangers, the child's intellectual development rather than its survival is the primary focus of selection. Wow. So basically selecting to be smarter rather than living longer. Huh. Interesting. Yes. Wow. I never would have thought of that. Yes. Thanks, G.E. Kennedy. (laughs) What a dude. Well, Well, or ma'am. Person. Person. What are they? What are they? (laughs) Um, So at this point, age of weaning to solid food was most likely sometime between two and six years, which is like if you look in less developed countries or places they're not getting food given to them in a very easy way. That's where they're at anyways. Uh Um, Available diet of fruits, nuts, vegetables, and meat would be difficult for a baby to eat until after they had grown a full set of teeth around the age of two. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, hence, like, the pre-mastication yeah. and longer, like... And, like, okay, now we have the luxury of, like, being... We have all sorts of soft foods yes. that are easily prepared. But at the time, if all you have is You're literally wandering around the forest naked. And, like, meats. Yes. Yeah, like, you can't... No. Yeah. Okay. I get um, it so, then moving on to antu- antiquity. Um, the first food that ba- babies ate were that, obviously, of the stable of the culture in which they lived. Right. Makes sense. I mean, it's still the same thing. You're right. still going to look at what we're eating is what our children are eating on a lot of levels or what we think children should be eating is what we're going to be feeding our children. Right. Um, in Indian culture on the second Indian children in the second century AD were given quote, diluted wine, soups and eggs at six months of age. In Europe, a common method of preparation is to soften food with liquid. Quote, at around six months, the child began a mixed of di- a mixed diet of breast milk and cereal soaked in milk or a uh, hydromel, a drink similar to mead made with fermented honey and water, huh. soup or eggs. At six months, the doctors ordered that the children should be given sweet wine or wine with- sweetened with honey or water Why, or else bread soaked in wine. Why wine? Why, yeah. Well, probably because water is not safe to drink. Oh. So wine so mead, keeps your ale. baby happy and stops <laughs> I mean, yeah, crying maybe. all the time. But water at this point is Wasn't dangerous. Safe to drink, yeah. And they didn't necessarily know why. Right. They could be like, we just fucking boil that water and I it'll know. be fine. Seems like such a so fermented things, things that have been boiled oh. to get them to their point. Then they're oh, boiling oh. off all the bacteria. Right, right, right. Also, interesting. And the honey, which is so funny, we we're talking about the honey. Oh my god! Because like, they, they all have botulism. Maybe. I mean. Yeah. Yes. But also honey sweet. Children like naturally want sweet things. Breast milk is very sweet. I've tasted it. Yeah. It's very sweet. Very sweet. So you're inclined to want sweet things. So that'll help. Yeah. Um, In medieval Europe, um, one 13th century book permitted apples and eggs if they were handled correctly. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I... Have you seen that like internet trend where you give a baby like or a toddler like an egg and let them like walk around and see how long they can go without breaking it? No. It's on like TikTok or oh, you know, Instagram lo- Excuse or something. me. It's something I haven't seen on TikTok. <laughs> what else am I doing at three in the morning? I don't know. But I saw that. And I, today I was like cooking eggs and I was so tempted to give one to Emerson. But I was like, what the fuck am I thinking? <laughs> you literally just throw it at me or something. <laughs> and like Ryan would come home and be like, why is there a... just spit wine out of my mouth. <laughs> he would be like, why is there a cracked fucking I egg on the I cannot imagine Ryan's face. If he came home and be like, well, I just want to see what happened if I gave her egg. What the fuck did you do? I, <laughs> I was literally like holding an egg and I was like looking at her, looking at the pan, looking at her. And I was like, should I give it to her? And just like, see? Like, I was like, what am I thinking? Anyway, sorry. That's right. I mean, I'm assuming eggs come up a lot because 
they're easier to get a lot of. Like, you don't have to kill a chicken for its meat. Right. They make just eggs All the endlessly. Time. <laughs> yes. And, like, they have good proteins and fats right. and stuff, right? Yeah, eggs is the perfect... Isn't there many commercials for egg and how they're, like, the perfect food? Yes. Um... So, like I said, when the babies needed to drink something else besides milk, they usually got a weak ale. Mm. Um, water was often unsafe, unless boiled. Fermenting wheat in water made the ale, uh, to make ale, was a standard way to disinfect and store it. Huh. And the alcohol, alcohol content was really low. It's not like drinking, like, you're not giving them, like, an IPA. Like a Miller, <laughs> it's like the Miller Lite. A triple IPA. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, even less than that. Like, you're basically talking about, like, Almost like a non-alcoholic beer. Gotcha. Probably had a little more alcohol than that. Right. But very low. And that's what people were just drinking all the time. Because yeah. it was safe for them to drink. Yeah. And like not mad at a low-key buzz all day. No. I mean, truly. I mean, if, I was, if you had to get through Middle Europe. No, If I, I was like, I have no deodorant or dry shampoo. I at least want to be drunk this whole time. Yes. So scholars have been studying the milk teeth of young people that lived between the 11th and 16th century. So I guess it has to do with when they come in. Yeah. They can tell like I'm... Milk teeth are what? These? Your baby teeth, yeah. But are milk teeth any of your baby teeth or are they specific sets of teeth? I don't know. Oh, I guess I could have Googled that. That's but, okay. Okay. Um, they found that they lived on a diet of pap, which consists of flour, milk, and egg yolk, as well as bread uh, with broth. And panada, which is bread with butter served in broth. So it's like this sort of like m- mixture of stuff. And it comes up. This is like yeah. just continues to be a diet of really young children is this mixture of like broth bread stuff in it that's easily digestible and sort of like, like soft and mushy. Yes, okay. basically. Um, so from like the 1600s to the 1800s, um, continued use of pap and the panada, as well as a gruel, a thin porridge resulting from boiling cereal and water milk. And by cereal, they mean like, like oatmeal, wheat, like oats wheat and yes, porridgey like, kind of things. Yeah. So they're not talking about like checks, yeah. obviously. <laughs> imagine <laughs> like i'll take the lucky charms yeah like me when i got to college after my mom was like here honey nut cheerios granolia. Your sugar cereal granolia, granolia. Okay. it's a new fancy granolia yeah um a standard pap brew was fed to babies from pap boats which are ceramic containers that look like miniature gravy boats and look i have a little picture there for you it looks literally exactly like Aww, your gravy boat beautiful so but i guess it's easy to sort of like tip that in yeah to their little mouths um, sometimes pap was beefed up with sugar, beer, wine, meat, broth, or in case of fussy and disruptive babies, opium. <laughs> I thought you were going to say rice cereal. I was yeah. like, yes, the opium. opium. the rice cereal of the 1600s. <laughs> opium had a big moment I in the mean, 1600s. I you know, that through, yeah, for a long time there, opium yeah. was the shit. Yeah. Um... And so up until the middle to late 19th century, infant food was all, all infant food was made at home because what other option was there truly? Right. I mean, there there was, was no like grocer. No. No. I mean, you're basically like making or procuring food from almost directly outside your own home. Yeah. Um, at this point, though, there wasn't really a category called baby food. Um, recipes for baby food were found in early cookbooks lumped together with invalid food. So sick people. Is invalid? Oh, maybe that's not a word. I don't know. I think uh, that's still, that's not like a. I don't think it's like a. Bad word. Bad to word say. to say. Basically like sick, disabled, elderly, people right. who were people not who, able to. Who probably lost the function of like chewing and swallowing yes. safely would have to eat the same diet as like a young child because yes. that's what's safe to chew and swallow safely. Yes. So yeah. they're both like bland, soupy, yeah. easy to digest. Like you're not chewing a bunch. You're not a bunch of flavor to it. Right. 
Um, so Sarah Josephina Hale of Mary Had a Little Lamb and a prime promoter of Thanksgiving as a national holiday fame included a chapter in her cookery for children on her book, Lady's New Book of Cookery in 1852. Oh my gosh. Um, she recommended cow's milk with sugar as food for infants and for older babies, gruels, beef tea, and stale bread boiled in water. I don't know why it has to be stale. My kids would have died. I guess because it's old bread. <laughs> My kids yes. would have been like, no thanks, I'll starve to death. Um, so this is a quote from her book that I uh, truly enjoyed, um, which I did find online and like read, I typed this out of the book that I oh found online. <laughs> this is, I went too deep on this. Uh, the rational course seems to be to feed infants till about three years old, chiefly with milk and mild farinaceous, which is starchy vegetable preparations. A large portion of good bread, light, well-baked, and cold. And cold was emphasized. Huh. I don't know why. So they couldn't eat, like, cold. warm food? I, I mean, to not. be fair, Cameron, if it's, like, room temperature, he's still like, it's too <laughs> hot. <laughs> Should be given them. After that period, to proportion their solid foods, the amount of exercise they're able to take. From the ages of 10 to 12 to 16 to 18, when growth is most rapid and the exercise of especially boys most violent, a sufficiency of plain nourishing food should be given. Do not allow them to eat hot bread or use any kind of stimulating drinks. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Stimulating drink. I guess tea, coffee. Like, a, yeah, something yes, with like they had tea and coffee. Yeah. yeah. For sure. They had tea and coffee at that point. <laughs> wow. So at this point, babies were not fed any of these foods to nine to 12 months of age. Okay. Um, and those foods. Same thing. Pretend they were pretty much the wheat gruels, beef broth, um, and also what's called scraped beef, very fine minced bits of beef, which maybe is like – you ever heard of like shit on a shingle? Yes. I drink okay. that all the time okay. as a child. Yeah. I mean, my dad was in the Army, so he has a particular fondness My mom would call it SOS, a... and she would never tell us what it stood oh. for. And we were like, what could it be? And my parents cussed in front of me because yeah. there were generations of people who cussed in front of our children. <laughs> keeping that one tradition strong yeah when i finally learned i was like oh my mom's so cool like we have breakfast called like shit on a shingle i mean (laughs) what is it chipped beef i guess it was cream chip beef over toast yeah and i remember i had my like i had like a tooth pulled or something and my grandpa took me out to breakfast after i got done at the dentist and i was hungry and because i got anesthesia and i hadn't eaten so he took me to the diner and I was like crying. I'm like, I don't know what I want. Like I was just like out of it. And mm-hmm. so he ordered me cream chipped beef over mashed potatoes. Oh. Because he was like, it's I mean, soft. And he was, you know. Honestly. And I remember him like spooning Great it. idea. Yeah. I was like, this is delicious. GP? And when I was like, GP. Yeah. When I was, good like, job, GP. I know. When I was like high in college, I was like, I'm going to get this. And I was in some diner in like North Jersey and it was not the same experience. No. Well. It's a good, yeah, I highly recommend if you have dental surgery <laughs> to get it's a good post <laughs> shit on a shingle. Shit on a shingle mashed over potatoes. mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point, beef and wheat are really seen as strength producing foods. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really recommended that infants will be fed fruits and vegetables until about two years of age. Because at this point, there was a general distrust of fruits and vegetables <laughs> left over from centuries-old humoral theor- theories of the body. Huh. So the humors, it's an imbalance of humors, right. which is blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile, which is complete fucking nonsense. <laughs> but, like, I'm also thinking, I'm like, still to this day, kids don't historic, like, like a lot of fruits and vegetables. I mean, as a, I think, as a general statement, yes. there are some kids who do. But I'm like, I wonder if there's, like, some weird, like, lizard brain part of them that has. I think it just, like, has. <laughs> has- flavor and so they're like no thanks i'll have (laughs) i'll have a lucky charm yes 
Um, so fruits and vegetables can also have a laxative effect. So people didn't mm. like that. Oh, okay. Because well, because also if you're talking about the humors, like one of them is causing people to shit. Yeah. So like they're like, oh well, if I'm not meant to be doing this, right? Then if it's gonna, I mean, it's because it's got like fiber and good stuff in it to actually make you go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um. So this changed in the early 1900s when vitamins were discovered. <laughs> hey, you guys, I got something here. <laughs> Come here, quick. I don't know how they discovered it, but I they were like. figured out the vitamins. Yes. Um, this and, whole time you're talking, I'm like, is anybody having any vitamins? No. Like, are they all just having like, yes. I guess, scurvy and rickets yes. and all this stuff and uh, vitamin deficiencies? Yes. And well, I guess they were source. getting those things from milk. Yes. Because it's unpasteurized. Right. But no, they were not getting probably like, like vitamin A, no, vitamin E, no. like all those other, no. you know, besides yes. C and D. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what is this? The early 1900s? Yeah. The early 1900s, they discovered vitamins. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you, <laughs> old timey 1900s people. <laughs> um, and then at that point, fruits and veggies were finally seen to have nutritional and important value. I mean, to be honest, if you told me that like there was nothing good about broccoli, I would not be eating broccoli. I know. When I'm trying to discuss Cameron about like why we need to eat different foods and like I try to talk about the value of food rather right. than like these are good foods or bad foods. I try to be like, okay, you need these things because they yes. have fats and proteins in them and these things because the carbohydrates. I was like, you need broccoli because there's vitamins in there and the vitamins do things that are important to your body. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you need them. Yeah, but still TBD on why. Yes. I know. So then we're moving into the industrialization of food. So this is like just everything becomes industrialized in like the mid 1800s through then. And so mass production of food is going to see the beginning of food becoming available widely to people in a way that they didn't have access mm -hmm. to it before. Not just children, but like anybody yeah. could start to get food that they didn't have access before. Um, in the United States, baby food was first prepared by Harold Clapp, who started Clapp's baby food in the 1920s. So this is the first actual like baby food. Huh. Um, the story is that when his, his wife fell ill and couldn't care for their baby, Clapp developed a soup made from beef broth, vegetables, and cereal. And then once he saw how well his baby did on that, he began making big batches, selling it around his town, huh. and eventually started selling it to other parents. No way. Yeah. And then, like, because ended up in drugstores. So, so cool. Yeah. I mean, makes sense, love honestly. That. Yes. Yeah, I love that for him. Yes. He's like, okay, I got to solve a problem. This yeah. baby's got to be cared for. And he mixed, like, different things with different, like, mm -hmm. nutritional value, like cereal and the yes. meat. And what else did he put in it? Uh, broth, vegetables, cereal. Beef yeah. broth, vegetables, and cereals. So okay. it's actually like a variety. You got car yeah. you got vitamins, you got carbohydrates, you got fats and yeah. proteins. Good okay. for you. Good for you guys. Good for you, old Harold Clap. <laughs> um, so then after that, the Fremont Canning Company, now Gerber Baby Products, okay. uh, started in 1927. Frank and Dan Gerber, father and son, began experimenting with strained baby food at their cannery, the Fremont Canning Company. By 1933, Fremont produced more than 2 million cans of baby food, which included a variety of strains, fruits, and vegetables, as well as beef vegetable soup. So soup is like, I guess because soup is like liquid viscous, but yeah. also can have like a lot of nutritional or value to it. you're cooking it like in vegetable broth. Yes, or like and it also is probably meats. a byproduct of the food that you're making for the adults. Right. It was almost like yes. a variant of like baby lead weaning that yes, is popular or, now. Yeah, you know, bones. Like yeah. it's a good way to get that stuff out of it. Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, and then the canned baby food became so popular that they abandoned all of their other foods and changed their name to Gerber's baby foods. Oh, so they're making other foods before just baby food. They basically were like, oh, we have this ability. Like we can make these things. Let's make it. And then they're like, oh, fuck everything else. Now I'm rich. Now we got the monopoly on baby (laughs) food. (laughs) Um, and then soon after that beach nut, which still exists, uh, pablum, which I don't know what is J.H. Heinz company, Nestle. Nutritia and Organics created their own baby food products. So it was yeah. like a quick succession. Yeah. In the 1930s, um, despite the growing popularity of the canned baby food, many Americans were still nervous about canned food having um, because they had lived through times with spoiled and contaminated canned foods. Yeah. So because there wasn't like same regulations, like I said, botulism can exist yeah, on cans. It can. I remember my mom always being weirded out by like dented cans. Leo is too. I'm like, is, is that, that still a thing? thing? Yes, Leo will not. If I try to buy a dented can, Leo will like smack it out of my hand. I need basically. to look that up because I'm like very curious if that's just like an old like you know wives' tale or rumor and that there happened. There must be something to it, right? But Even if it... there's not, still there must exactly. have been something I'm sure to it. At some it. point, but yeah, I'm curious about. We'll have to. We'll, we'll, I'll make a note and little fact check yeah. for next week. <laughs> I'll forget all about it. Don't worry. Me too. Um, to <laughs> overcome this, Gerber started an advertising campaign. Mm-hmm to convince moms, dietitians, and pediatricians uh-huh. that the processed baby food was not only nutritional superior to homemade b- baby food, but safer. Mm. The ad campaign included included research funded by Gerber, right. of course. As I said, you can always find research that you want to find. Of course. Um, that praised the benefits of canned food in general. Um, Gerber advertised the medical community by offering canned food, canned baby food, Free of charge to pediatricians. Mm, it's kind of like when you were in college, you'd be like walking to the bar and they'd be like, here, you want to try these like weird menthol new cigarettes yes, or something? And you're like, I will. Sign for me free? Up. I'm like, sure. Or like uh, basically how pharmaceutical companies work a lot of times yeah, now. They like give you like kickbacks of, yes. you know. Um, quote, they were seen as a product of convenience for women. Women could put them in their bags, remove themselves from the kitchen and travel around. It eventually made it easier for them to go outside and perform perform paid labor because they had portable baby food. And that is from Amy Bentley, who is the author of Inventing Baby Food, which is like a contemporary book. Yeah. But I mean, there is some truth to yeah. that. There is I like mean, a freedom to be released from preparing or having to be in your own home to feed right. your children. Yeah, of course. I mean, heck, uh, could you imagine being responsible? I mean, we are responsible <laughs> for taking care of our children all the time. But imagine if you yes. had to be Find, like sourcing yes. the food, cooking. Like yes. there was no easy and you way cannot, out. Like I can walk into the house with like a little shaker full of like Cheerios and right. like, feed a baby. Exactly. Like I'm not to say that once this was invented, people were entirely like abandoning their, no. I'm going to make my baby food. But at least now if you. I mean, kind of at this time they were though, because this right. is the idea of like, this is also the height of like formula, which at some point we'll do a setting. It's like science is is better. better than you doing yes. it. Right. I guess we've gotten away from that. But you're right. Yeah. At this time, it was like, just stop making all your own baby yes. food and only this use is, ours. Yes. Totally. Got it. Um, so fu- future Gerber ad campaigns would include messaging to convince moms that homemade baby food was uh, not as safe as commercially made baby food. Okay. And that toiling away in the kitchen was not good for mothers or their babies. So like they are targeting people in this way in like, I mean, not that it's not safer, but like, okay, they're probably, like I said, there's benefits to leaving your home with it, but you're also preying upon people who want to do the best for their children. Right. And who maybe it gives them joy to be cooking and doing something yes. for their children. And it's not a burden, but now you're telling them yes. that's not safe. Yes. You're not doing the right thing you're for your child. You're not doing the right thing. Right. 
Um, may, many baby food advertisements, Gerber's and others, also encouraged feeding solids at three months, sometimes explicitly in the text, but also visually in the babies depicted on the ads themselves. Like, if you look at the babies, sometimes they look like young babies. Yeah, They're not true. a year old baby. That. Yeah, that's The Gerber true. baby is a fresh, pretty fresh baby. Yeah. That's probably a four or five month old baby. Yeah. Well, the sooner you can get them on it, the yes, better for them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, by the 1950s, babies are being fed commercial solids foods by just six weeks of age. And there are some doctors who are promoting introducing solids after 24 hours of birth. <gasps> what? Yes. No. Not good. <laughs> I mean, Cameron didn't even nurse for 27 hours yeah. after he was born. Well, he could have been having a bowl of Gerber <laughs> baby food at some that old, point. Some old wine and yeah. honey in a bowl with some beef broth. Mead. Um, and this point, 90% of American parents feed their babies commercial baby food, which is quick, convenient, and ready to eat straight from a can, uh, or as, as of 1977, a jar, a which jar. is what we still use. Yeah. Um, in the Cold War period, there was the idea that we needed our children to be strong, and we needed them to be competitive, which is like, if you think about like any Olympics ever, they're like, we have to win, we have to be stronger and better than those Soviet bastards. Yeah. Um, in the 1990s, there was no – until the in 1990s, there was no age limit or recommendation labels in the jars. And that was regulated, basically. Wow. They had to be like, y'all, y'all got to put some, something yeah, on here. Yeah, you got to at least give a hint. Yes. Um, medical advice has begun to turn away from the earlier is better attitude and become more aware of how babies have been successfully fed and weaned for thousands of years. I mean, this is – didn't have to reinvent the wheel right. totally to do this. Um, at the beginning of the 20th century in America, most babies began eating baby foods around the age of seven months. So we've okay. kind of done this swing back into yeah. sort of more like developmental. I mean, obviously, Colin's eight months and he is hammering food. Like he's ready to be eating food. Right. Hey, could you imagine not being like really feeding him until he's 36 months or 24 months or however the – I mean, recommendations were back. I was surprised he didn't bite me earlier when I was trying to give him other foods. <laughs> like, I know. It was so bad. So um, this is the current state of feeding babies. Um, some studies show that babies actually uh, babies actually now are provided a wider range of fruits and vegetables than they would be otherwise by mass-produced foods. Right. Because, like I said, like food deserts exist and people don't have a lot of money. So they can get fruits and veggies that they couldn't necessarily get or afford right, to that buy. Maybe like local to their area. Or yes. Or like I can spend $10 a thing of kiwis. Like, I mean, it's stupid, but like it doesn't affect my bottom line. Right. There are people who are like, okay, all I can afford is bananas because they're cheap. Right. And that's all they can feed their kids. They can't yeah. feed them strawberries and they can't. Yes. And all the more like pricey pineapple foods. And then that also leads to like when you give your kids a wider variety of food when they're young, they're more likely to eat a wider variety of food when they're adults. Yeah. Yeah. So if they're getting these foods when they're young in a can, then they might be more likely to eat those yeah. foods later in life. Um, and once infants go off baby food, one of the top three vegetables, as you said, is French fries. Mm -hmm. They're easy. They're cheap. Yeah. They're, people will eat them. They do give them calories. Like those things cannot be ignored. It's easy to be like, oh, that's not a great food for kids. But if people can get them, they're filling. They give their kids a caloric intake that they need to get through the day. Well, it's like and, an empty calorie. Yes. And I read somewhere when I was reading about like the potato paragraph in that research mm -hmm. article. I forget what it was called. But it was saying you can buy more French fries for the same amount of money. You can get more French fries than you could like raw, like just the potato. Yes. Like you could get You could get a processed food. Yes. But like if you were to weigh out how many French fries you can get for $5 versus how many actual potatoes you can get for $5. And then you don't have to prep anything. And you don't have to prep anything. Yep. So like it is literally cheaper for you and you can get more if you're getting 
french fries versus buying a bag of potatoes and bringing it home to prepare it. Yeah. Which is like entirely fucked up. Yes. It should not be. No. So by 2002, 99% of American babies are being fed commercially produced food. Um, and at this point, I, I don't, this boggled my mind. The average American baby consumes 600 jars of commercial baby food by the time he or she is a year old. Wow. Which basically if you're starting your kid at six months, that's more than three a day, which is crazy to me. But I also get like, same thing. Like there might be people who are like, well, this is what I can feed my kid. And this is the only thing I can feed my kid. So we're going to go, we're going to have breakfast. We're going to have lunch. We're going to have dinner. Well, can I tell you when Ben was just turning six months, I went to a pediatrician this was, remember when I switched pediatricians? This yes. was a different one. Yes. And I, I went in. about this. And he was, I was like, well, can I start feeding him? He was like, yeah. He was like, so he can have Gerber baby food. Um, He was like, you know, go to the Gerber. How old was this guy, by the way? I hate to say it. He was not that old. Oh, really? He was like younger than our dad. I totally forgot that you yes. switched pediatricians. I switched when- pediatricians because of this. Because at six months of age, I brought him in and I was excited to start feeding Ben like all the foods, yeah. you know? And you know, because I'm privileged in the sense that mm-hmm. I can be home and I can be cooking and yes. I have the availability to do that. So yes. it's exciting. And you have enough money to buy a wide right. variety. Of and stuff. I cook for me and Ryan anyway. It was like going to be fun and easy. But he was just only telling me, he was like, he can have Gerber stage one, um, go to the grocery store. There's a Gerber aisle, go to the Gerber website. There's a ton of like feeding guides on there. He can have Gerber juice. And he literally said the word Gerber. I kid you not. Maybe I times. cannot believe I forgot about this. You Me were too. so upset. I was so upset because As I was you like, should be. I was like, "This is the advice you're giving me." Yes. Like, just go to the Gerber website and look up a feeding guide and just buy a hundred can- like little jars yeah. of food. As a person who's sitting here being like, "What are some suggestions on foods I can make my baby?" Yes. I wasn't so overwhelmed and so confused and like I have no idea. Like, give me one thing to help figure this out. Like he was completely disengaged with this conversation and just kept saying the word Gerber. And I was like, I mean, I feel like it's okay to be like, Hey, there are foods you can go with. Like if you're, you know, you can suggest like there's easy stage one, there's easy stage two. If you're interested also, right. These are the things you could do. He could have said like, what are you eating at home? What kind of foods are you preparing? And if I was saying, which is what like our, we have the same pediatrician. Obviously I switched to a different pediatrician whom now I adore. (laughs) Yes. And she's, we'll never leave. Yeah. I love her so much. Yes. But she's the type of pediatrician is like, well, tell me what you're eating in a yes. day. And then she would say, so if you're eating scrambled eggs, mm-hmm. like just don't salt them and yeah. you can give that to the baby. Or, you know, if I was saying, oh, I don't eat anything for breakfast, she might say, well, why don't you just grab like some easy jars yeah. of food? Like she would give you yes. two options where this doctor was like, this is the only way. So obviously, um, while all this research focuses on America, it's not the only people that feed their children across the world. <laughs> true, <laughs> so I do want to throw true. some things in. I like that. Um, so... In China and other East Asian countries, homemade baby food um, remains common, much more than it is in the U.S. Um, and babies are started on rice porridge, like congee. I don't know if you've ever had congee. I've heard the word. It's kind of like an oatmeal of rice. Okay. Like it's like thick porridgey, and you can make it like breakfasty and like. Do you sweet. know what I bought what? this week? Cream Go of good. wheat. I did too. No, you did talked not. about it last week. <laughs> We have to have like yes, a, uh, a, a morning breakfast I, FaceTime where we eat cream of wheat together. Because we talked about it last week. Last week we were yes. talking about how cream of wheat was like a staple of our childhood. In our, we have, so we have a pod. Yes. With us and another Mary shout out. Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary. <laughs> I hope you're listening to we this. love you. You better be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were, we'll know when we shout this out. You better respond yeah, you to better, us. We shouldn't say anything about it and see if she says We something. will not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyways, so Emerson and my birthday was last weekend. That's we right. went to the Catskills and had a pod, a pod weekend date. together. Wait, what did Ben's classmate to say? Oh, we're going on a podcation. 
Oh, I love it. I know. Podcation. That was so cute. So we did a little podcation. Yeah, podcation. And somehow we ended up talking about cream of wheat. <laughs> and I went on, like, as soon as I could order food, I was like, dip, 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 dip. I added it to my Instacart that night. And then when I went to order food, like yesterday or the day before, I didn't realize it was in there. And it was like a great surprise when my order came. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, the cream of wheat. To be fair, I think you'd add a few glasses of wine. <laughs> Thank <again>. you. <laughs> But yeah, so we'll have to talk. We'll eat our cream of wheat this okay, together. We will. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, in China, yes. Uh, then they move on to mashed fruits, soft vegetables, tofu, and fish, which are like staples. Same mm-hmm. thing. We're talking about like what is the staple of the diet of like the you culture eat what you're you in see around you, yes. right? What's easy to we're prepare. eating a lot more beef and that kind of stuff, right? In Asian cultures, they're eating a lot more um, tofu and fish. Yeah. In Sweden, it's common to start with mashed fruit, such as bananas, as well as oatmeal and mashed vegetables, which is, like, more – I mean, I think Americans are more likely to start with, like, a fortified cereal. But, like, I think I started – I think bananas was the first yeah. – no, oh, I'll get pizza crust. Pizza crust. Okay. <laughs> Always pizza crust. But I think, like, the first time I was, like, actively, like, I'm going to try a food, it was bananas. With Banana, pollen. avocado. Yeah. Yeah. In West Africa, um, maize porridge is often the first solid food given to young children. So maize it's, is a type of corn. It's corn. Yeah, it's like so. It's 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 like whatever's a staple of the diet, and in some kind of sort like of the soft, most milky soft yes. way. Um, so um, an infant's first bite of solid food is ceremonial and often holds religious importance in many cultures. Aww. And I, I found this and I thought it was really cool and I kind of wanted to end here. An example of this is, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, um, Anaparsham, a Hindu ritual where the infant is fed a sweetened rice porridge, usually blessed by an elder family member. And the term is literally means food feeding or eating food. And it's like a whole, like, here, Aww. I put a picture of this little kid. So it's not, it's... And it sort of made me think, like, because I'm in that stage of life and this is our last kid, this sort of, like, there is a reverence in sort of letting go of that babiness of... Like, the last first. Yes. Like, I remember feeling very nostalgic for all the last first. Like, the first food, their first steps. Like, when you're experiencing that with what will be your last child, like, it does feel like it's some sort of a thing where... Yes, and so to have the whole ceremony around it feels like... I was like... It literally gave me chills. I was like, like, I love this. Me too. And, so you know, sweet. with Cameron, we weren't sure if we were going to have another. And so I had this weird, like, back and forth where I didn't feel like I could land on feeling um, like I could, like, let go of any of it. Mm-hmm. If I knew it was going to be our last, maybe right. I could have. If I knew we are going to have another, then I didn't have to worry about it. But I was in this weird middle ground. And so now I'm able to, with Colin, sort of, like, live in this moment of, like, okay, this is it for us. Yeah. So he's... I, I love the idea of doing something that feels like I'm going to celebrate the fact that like you, you're leaving some of your babyhood behind. It's like celebrating the milestone as opposed yes. to like grieving that it's yes. the end of an era of so the baby. So much. I love that. I do too. Aww. And like it involves your family and a blessing, and, blessing. and like whatever your religious thing. Like I'm not religious, but like I do like the idea of like some sort of reverence. It's spiritual. You, yes. Even if it's just like love within a family yes. and like people coming together for this an otherwise kind of nothing moment to yes. oh, rude. You I, cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, it doesn't take much. No, it's like a stiff wind. <laughs> it's like a reflex at this yes. point. That's really sweet. I appreciate that little. So I just thought it was like a good place tidbit. to end. It's like, I think so. Food. Also, like, even if you think of it as an adult, like, food can be so ceremonial or like can be so, like, one of the things I'm missing the most right now in our quarantine is like, Going out to a nice dinner with friends right. where there's, like, not kids involved. I mean, I love my kids and everything. But 
I haven't been alone since March. Yeah, I know. Basically. Yeah. And we went actually in February, we had a really, really nice dinner with two friends at Soraya, which is this really great place here in Philly. And I was pregnant. So That's I couldn't right. drink. Couldn't drink. I yeah. wasted all my good months sober. <laughs> Who knew what was coming? Right. Leading up to like the big, the big quarantine. I mean, and I, I'm missing that. And sort of some of that is like, and you know, we ordered when my mom was in town um, in August, we'd ordered some good food, but we all kind of sat down and were like, Ugh. it's not the same. No, because there is a sort of ceremonial thing to food. Well, it's also food is not like, just nutrition and it is obviously an important, you know, yeah. but, but it's also something to be like when, as the primary caretaker, where you're always the one who's preparing yes. the food, serving the food, yes. cleaning up the food. Yes. There is something very charming about sitting at a table and having oh, someone yes. come and bring you their food and clean up the food. And fill up your water before it's fill even down. Fill up your down. water after you take a single sip. Ask you if you need another cocktail. You're like, like I do Clean your little cocktail. dirty plate off because oh, you yeah, eat like that, an animal. You get when they have that little like that <laughs> thing and they brush. scrape all yourself. I'd be like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a like, mess I'm of a sorry, person. I'm so disgusting. <laughs> I know. But yeah, it, it's yes. all of that. Like getting and ordering the food is not, I mean, we're doing it. We're it's not going to be the, the straw that breaks my quarantine camel back, but it is something I agree. I'm missing as well. That's I feel like that's the thing when I really think about. Well, listen, cheers to us going oh, okay, out to go, a yes. big dinner when we are finally let out of. I'm going to spend like $500 <laughs> at a dinner. I don't even care. I'll get a babysitter. What's supposed to be babysitting since the babysitter? I don't care. We'll I just do want it. to do it. We'll, and we'll, have a, we'll have a little ceremony over food. We will. So cheers. Cheers to that. loving doing this another great week man. i mean i think it's great i can't believe that we have in our disheveledness pulled together four episodes in four weeks in four weeks i truly am surprised me too i can barely get my house cleaned <laughs> <laughs> me too i am wow just blown away this well, was a great week this was a great week i'm really i'm i'm truly enjoying learning new things like just sitting there and doing that research felt it just feels so good when it i does. do it I enjoy it. I enjoy reading it. And it's so, it's so enlightening to yes. learn all these things. And just like, I'm sorry, I was so interested and excited when I found that research on like scurvy and rickets. And I was like, wow. Here's the thing. That research that you do, if I tried to like deep dive into it, my brain would be like, oh, oh no, thank you. <laughs> so like, well, you know what I did? I was like, I didn't even really make a lot of sense, but I was like, why cod liver and, and like orange juice? And then when I researched oh. that, it was like because yes. of scurvy. And I, I would have like, never. And then I was like, wait, was infantile scurvy a thing? And then I started going down that rabbit hole. And then I I'm glad found that out, you did. Yeah. So I was like, geez, like I would have just glossed right over that unless I was I, like, that's such an odd combination. I mean, clearly I would have glossed right over it because I was reading <laughs> stuff like, I don't know. Well, that's kind of where I was like the rest of it. I was like, okay, well, I understand like livers and meats, but that just seemed like such a bizarre combination to be like, oh, at two weeks old, start giving them cod liver oil and orange juice. And yeah, so it leads me to weird places and I just genuinely enjoy it. Yes. And yeah, thank you for listening if you uh, still yes. are. If you still are, um, we have if, a very you're, loyal... if you're new, I really appreciate yeah, you. Welcome. I don't know where you're coming from. I think it's still all, I think we're still uh, like multi-level marketing this shit to our friends. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, we don't have to pay. So go for it. Please yeah. listen. Listen, put it on in the background and don't even listen to it. Turn your volume down. I mean, are you lonely? It's like you have two friends now. And we'll 
are we not? We're basically friends with all these people. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody who doesn't know us is listening to this. I mean, we are basically not allowed to be friends with one person without both of us being friends with that person <laughs> yeah. at this point. At this point, I think we whittled down all of our friends to everybody that we're friends with as friends with both of us. Yes. <laughs> we will force you to be friends with us. You can tell we're in like 10 different group chats. And oh my gosh. We're the only, we're like the common denominator of all of them. <laughs> Really enjoy it. <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, but yeah, if so, you're listening, rate, review, subscribe. Yes. On 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 Spotify, it is follow. Oh, yes. true. But also listen on Apple Podcasts because that's what gets most podcasts out. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that Spotify did podcasts. Yeah, because Sp- podcasts I mean, are the everybody has a pod, uh, podcast. If you didn't know this, <laughs> we are not the first people to do a podcast. <laughs> I only subscribe to like, I don't know, probably 25 podcasts. (laughs) I just started listening to Why Won't You Date Me. Oh, you just started listening to it? I just started listening to it. I die laughing at her intro. Yes. Every single week. Why won't you date me? Why won't you date me? Why won't you date me? Please. (laughs) I cannot stop laughing. We are required by law to sing on every podcast. (laughs) It's in the contract that we wrote. (laughs) I love it so much. Thank you for recommending it. Uh, I just love Nicole Byer. And yes. you know who else loves Nicole Byer? Who? Ben. Oh, really? He oh, because you watched Nailed It. it. Yes. But her Nailed the persona and her IRL persona. Very he, different. Well, there was a um, billboard. I think she like performed at like Parks Casino she did, or something. Like a year ago or something. She did. And so we live right on Route 95. And so there was a huge. Route? Interstate. Inter- route is different than interstate. Really? It's not route. It's no. Wait. It's I-95. I, oh, interstate. It's only in my backyard. Sorry, I just choked my spit. Please edit this entire portion out. I'm definitely not going to edit this portion out. <laughs> Come on. You do not have control over the editing process. <laughs> Dang it. Anyway, she was on a billboard, like, right by our house, and all the time he would be like, nailed it. Nicole from Nailed It. And so he loves her. Okay. Yeah, so other podcast recommendations. <laughs> Our, our recommendation corner where we just tell you what to listen to besides our <laughs> You can also watch uh, America's Next Top Model. We're currently, yes. oh, well, you're about to be on season six. Yes, I just finished season five last night. I still can't remember that girl's name, who the winner is. I don't want to spoil it for okay. any other losers watching it like we did. I mean, spoiler, spoiler, fast forward, <laughs> it's Nicole. Oh, I keep okay. calling her Brittany. I don't know why. If there was a Britney in the season before. Season. No, yeah. she's definitely not like that Britney. No, okay, but like, we cannot. This is not America's Next Top Model <laughs> podcast. Maybe we should start an America's Next Top Model I'm podcast. I'm not above it. <laughs> I mean, there's probably a lot more content <laughs> than this. <laughs> we could do like a season's episode by episode breakdown. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We'll we, got, we got a microphone now. We got a, we got a lot of time and a microphone. So who knows what's coming down the pike. Okay. Well. Thank you, so guys. So wait. Oh, next oh. week. Oh, yeah. So next week, we're going to kind of. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm really week. excited. Next week, we're going to cut you a little. We're going to. We're going to ex- change it up a little we're bit. We're going to really explore the space of childhood. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to deep dive into chicken pox. Yeah. I'm, I, I this think this is going to be kind of interesting and weird. Yes. Uh, it's so funny because I saw my mom today and I was like, Mom, can you please go deep, like deep diving for photos oh, of when the you chicken, had chicken pox? pox? either when I had it or like when my brothers had it or anything related to it. Cause I know my mom like used to take a lot of photos and we have boxes of photos Yeah, and she has a lot of time over our hands because she's abiding by the, you know, yes. Uh, my gosh, I forgot the word pandemic <laughs> guidelines. A panini press. <laughs> the, panini. the Papa John's. <laughs> yes. 
She is highly according to the Papa John's. And so she, uh, I was like, try to find photos because I'd love to put them up or look at them when we're researching this. So it's going to be a little different than what we've been doing the past couple episodes. But hey, we created this and we can do whatever the fuck we want. We literally can do anything we want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, thanks everybody. Yeah, for thank listening. you for listening. Um, enjoy your pandemic week. Oh God. Oh my God, February. I can't. It's even... gonna suck. So snowy. We're supposed to get snow this weekend again. I can't. I haven't left my house in a week. <laughs> I don't go anywhere. We have to get you out before Sunday before it snows again. Mm. <laughs> Better not. Mm. <laughs> I'm honestly fine here. <laughs> it's like three televisions in my house. <laughs> This is why I love you. This is why you're wearing a shirt that says indoorsy. Oh, yeah, indoorsy. I'm very on brand for you. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Okay, go. Say it. Your grandparents. um, What did it say? Did what? Did what? Your grandparents did what? Your grandparents did what?